or certainly a, uh, you know, a lot of uh, interaction and thoughts about this, provoking thoughts about this particular series you asked for. Before I get into the series, um, first of all, I want to introduce myself. If you're here for the first time, my name is Pastor Derek. I'm the lead pastor at Connect, and it's an honor and privilege to have you here in church with us this morning. We hope you feel uh, welcomed and and um, accepted, and just uh, hope you enjoy the whole thing. Uh, worship was great this morning, wasn't it? So grateful for our worship team, and I'm so grateful for all of our dream team who served so well. Um, I want to mention some things that you probably saw right while you were driving in. We're, we're in. We had a renovation inside, and you can see there's a renovation going on outside. And um, that is not formally a part of Connect. That's not part of, for those of you who are spiritual family and contributed to the financial changes of uh, connect recently from last year to now. We're in actually, we're really approaching the second half of a financial campaign that we started about a year ago to uh, renovate this this particular facility, specifically this auditorium and the and downstairs in the in the foyer, the common. But um, we partner with Metro West Ministries, which I sit on the board of directors for that as the vice chairman. And we have on Metro West Ministries, there are several different entities of that, three daycares. One of the daycares is right over here. There's a school. It's right over here, a private school, which I actually was the headmaster of for 14 years. Uh, we have a daycare in Grafton, also Bellingham, and then, of course, right next door. And then we have a mission in Dominican Republic with a school there as well. Yes, a lot of people getting ready to go on a missions trip really soon. Um, we have missions teams that go out of Connect all the time, and mission teams that come in from all over the country to our mission in the DR all the time as well. But um, Metros Ministries has sponsored kind of uh, some improvements, and so that's what you're seeing outside. We benefit from that. We do contribute to that out of our operational budget, but not out of our campaign budget. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So you, all, of you, all of you did help, those of you that are, are tithers and part of the... Um, you know, regular giving of uh, Connect Community Church, you are helping make that possible, but it is not a part of Connect the Dots, and I just wanted you guys to be clear on that. I would have told you if we were doing the parking lot over, I wouldn't just do it, if that makes sense. So that's why I'm making that clear. But however, the whole parking lot's being done over, and, um, and a whole bunch of other stuff, some new landscapes, some new hardscape. Uh, the daycares are getting brand new playgrounds. They're showing up in just a few weeks. Uh, we tuck all those fences down. The knee wall that was outside the gable end of this building is going to be improved. There's going to be a basketball court out there when we just go right out of the social space. We'll be able to play basketball right outside a really nice court. Just some play areas for kids. And it, we're going to benefit, all of us are going to benefit from, as my wife would say, all y'all are going to benefit from that uh, in the very near future. So most of this project will be done. It's about a half a million dollar project will be done uh, before Christmas and then some touch up in the spring, a top coat for the pavement and and things like that will be all, and new trees going in all along the front of this property. Nice, I think they're like red oaks or something like that are going to go in. So it's going to be really nice. Isn't that great to be a part of that? So praise the Lord. Just want to let you know that. Yeah, so it's going to look nice. The town, Ashland, loves us. They love us because we're always doing something. Um, also want to make mention, um, for those of you who serve in some capacity uh, at Connect, we have uh, just over 300 people who serve on our dream team, who serve on a regular basis. I'm so proud to be able to say that there are people that are, that are using their gifts and talents for God. And uh, we sent out an email to you just recently, and many of you opened that, which I'm very proud of you. We had our highest percentage response to an email Perhaps ever. I've just told that this morning. Um, but in that video, if you did not see it or, or open that, please open that. But we just talk about an event that's coming up on October 21st. This is our Relate One Day event. Um, as a church, we partner with uh, certain ministries and invest in those ministries. Um, we are targeted to give 13% uh, of our income this year to certain mission organizations and on track to do so. One of those partners, though, is Relate. And this is a coaching network where we build up uh, pastors and leaders, really initially all over the country, but it's getting ready to, to go global, as I mentioned in the uh, video. Um, we are hosting an event here, which we hosted two years ago here on site. Um, thankfully, we've renovated to be able to accommodate the growth, so we're expecting a much larger response from pastors and leaders throughout New England. And we're asking you to come and uh, be a part of that and serve on that day. Two years ago, we had 70 Dream Teamers show up, take the day off from work and be here on a Tuesday uh, to serve all day pastors and leaders. And here's, here's, my, here's my big pitch on this. I can think of no better way to use your gift strategically to get the highest return on investment for the kingdom than to build up leaders. 
Because the Bible says if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. What would happen if you built the shepherd up? The sheep would come from everywhere, wouldn't they? And so we're here to kind of uh, help churches grow and be successful. And you guys are blessed. And sometimes you don't really know how blessed you are. Um, I go away and realize and come back and realize, man, I am really, really blessed. I coach pastors all over New England. And every time I hang up, I thank God for my church. And I want you guys to know how sincere I am when I say that. We are so blessed. I'm so blessed. Um, but we're blessed to be a blessing, it says in Genesis chapter 12. And so one of the things that we can do as a church is not just, you know, make our church great and then not help uh, anybody else. And so one of the reasons we think there's favor or will continue to be favor on our church is that we do invest resource and help other churches and other church leaders. So I encourage you to be a part of that. It's October 21st. If you want more information on that, you can talk to somebody at Guest Central or call the office uh, or email us at office at weconnect.cc and um, we'll tell you more about it. It's basically about an eight to three event. It's a workday event and uh, we'll find a place for anybody who wants to serve. Amen? Amen? All right, well, let's get into this series. You guys got your worship badge? You ready to go? Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be very interesting. <laughs> uh, this is one of the most popular questions that you asked for and uh, I'm going to address really based on the survey that we did recently, some of the most popular questions you you asked for, and I'm just going to start out. I actually think this is one of the easier ones, but it has some controversy in it. Uh, the question is, can a Christian drink, smoke, and watch R-rated movies? And we'll just throw cuss in there for the heck of it. Okay? that good? Was that good? Turn to your neighbor and say, that was good. That was good. All right. How many people can say at least one time in your life you've made an unwise decision? Anybody? Okay, all right. That's an all play. That's like, touchdown. <laughs> that was me. Uh, many of you are sitting next to that. No, I'm just kidding, person. Uh, just kid I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm going to have to get some uh, protection up here. Um, one time when I, when I was a boy, uh, this is, my mom would be mad at this as illustration, but she's not here. But one time when I was a boy, I was out in the woods, and uh, I had one of those magnifying glasses, you know, and there was a season where, when, this was back when I was a kid, you couldn't wait to get a magnifying glass, because the only thing you want to do with it was to start a, a fire, right? So I got out there, and I start this fire, and, I'm, and it starts to grow, <laughs> and it gets real big, and I've got no water. You guys see where this is going, anybody? <laughs> there was water, but it was in my stomach. And so it's a windy day, and so I just turned, and I started to, you know, try to extinguish the fire. <laughs> and then it started to, wind started to blow. It was a real bad decision, if you know what I'm saying. So um, another time I was introduced to, uh, in recent years, I'm sorry about that. Uh, if you're new here, you're in for it. Um, <laughs> I was introduced not too long ago to sushi, I think around 40 years old, uh, so that was last week, uh, and, uh, and I didn't know much about it, and they had this green stuff on the, on the plate, and uh, it was a big scoop of it, and uh, Brian Barnes didn't mention to me what it was, I thought it was guacamole, so I ate the whole thing in front of a lot of people. It was, it was a bad decision, it was a really bad decision. I remember uh, in high school as a freshman uh, dating a girl who was dating the captain of the football team simultaneously. Uh, that was a really bad decision as well, and uh, my sternum, forehead, and several other parts of my body became aware of that. So we, we've all done some unwise things in our life, have we not? Uh, perhaps not so comical, but in fact, they're, they're, these decisions sometimes that we make can be very, very painful to, to us, so we think. In other words... There's this tendency, the reason we do some of the stupid things that we do, the unwise things that we do, is because we think unconsciously it affects me and only me. You know, it's my body, I can do what I want to. You know, we just think it's, it's just me. It's my decision. I can do this. And so, too bad, kind of too sad. And it's my life, it's my business, and what I do is nobody else's, and because it doesn't impact anybody else, but that's not true. So here's your big idea. Write this down if you're taking notes. Uh, everything we do affects everyone we know. At some point, at some time, at, at some level, everything we do affects everyone we know. It's an interesting thought. I think it's a true statement. 
and, and sometimes this attitude that I, it's, just my, it's just my decision and what I do doesn't affect anybody else, it just affects me, it's, it's really, it stems from a selfish heart and not a selfless heart. And God wants us as Christ followers to have an unselfish heart. We're actually considering others. In Philippians 2, it says preferring others to ourselves. And so sometimes we make unwise decisions because of really a root of selfishness. And usually it's just sometimes it's attached sometimes to an attitude uh, or maybe even an addiction that's connected to an extreme behavior. So sometimes we're, we're, we're in that mode and we're in that place because we're trying to kind of um, continue, continue to do something that we're, we're really addicted to, we're in bondage to. And this sets us up for, you know, the opportunity for unwise decision, which kind of leads us into this question we're addressing today. But when I started to prepare for this, um, I decided to start with why do people, <laughs> you know, when I see the questions that come in in the survey, I've been thinking about, well, why did they ask that question? So I'm going to ask the question before the question. Does that make sense to anybody out there? So here's, here's why sometimes we ask this question. You know, can Christians smoke, drink, chew, run with girls who do? That's not what you ask, but that's the phrase that I always think of when I saw that. Um, why do people ask that question? Here's, the, here's something that you, you may want for bonus material. It's because you're a rule follower. Some people ask that question because they're just flat-out rule followers, and sometimes that comes and stems from maybe your background. You know, um, sometimes there's a very religious background, perhaps, and you want to know, like, when you come to an environment like this, you know, where do you sit, and where does this go, and how do I do this, and what's the protocol, and what's the etiquette, and, and you don't necessarily ask questions. You just want to know what's the right answer. You're a rule follower, and again, Sometimes it stems from an environment, usually religious, that has a, a legalistic side to it. And we'll talk about legalism in a little bit. And, and as a result, you believe certain ways about these topics. And then you're confronted, like you get into an environment like this, and you realize there are other people who love Jesus, and you love Jesus, but we have differences of beliefs. And what's up with that? So if you don't remember anything else, remember these three things. And we say this all the time in our spiritual family class, Church 101, Christianity you know, uh, 101, we have it on the first Sunday of every single month. But here's what we say about our beliefs. In essential beliefs, we have to have unity. Now, all my leaders would know this, but basically what that's saying is this. Essential beliefs, we have to have unity. In other words, there are some beliefs that I, that I hold with a closed hand, like I'll fight over these things. Okay, like regarding, you know, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the sinless life of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, Acts 4.12, salvation being found in no one else but Jesus Christ. Like I hold these strong in this hand. Does that make sense? Now, in non-essential beliefs, it's more an open hand non-essential beliefs. These are not necessarily mandates from Scripture. Not always, they're minors, not necessarily major doctrines. Um, and, and these non-essential beliefs, uh, we in this situation, we have liberty. So we have to have unity over here. We have liberty in non-essential beliefs. In this hand, this open hand, uh, I won't debate and argue, but just present our beliefs without demand, or, but instead with invitation. And in this hand, there are things like, like praying in tongues. Some people might see that's a major. I, I, we don't. Uh, the rapture, whether you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, don't give a trib, uh, whatever you are, that's an open hand, okay, over here, you're tribbed out. <laughs> um, these issues uh, are non-essentials, and in those issues, we have liberty. The issues that we are actually talking about today are non-essentials, non-essentials. Now, non-essentials are not necessarily um, non-important. They're important, okay, but... But over here, I would shed blood over these. Over here, I wouldn't shed a paper cut over. Does that make sense to everybody out there? I would fight over these essentials, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight over the other side. Christian maturity is not, I, I, I'm going to hang out with people who agree with me on everything. Okay, who believe just like me, who think just like me all the time. Jesus always leaned into relationship with people who didn't believe like him or think like him in order to be an influence on them. Uh, and so Christian maturity is in non-essentials, basically over here. I can sit down with you and I can talk with you and I can accept you, not necessarily have to agree with you. We can agree to disagree because relationship trumps, um, you know, uh, non-essentials. Okay? Now, over here, capital T truths. Over here, small t truths. Okay? 
So in, in non-essentials, we can agree to disagree and still be in relationship. Jesus did it all the time. You actually do it all the time. You just don't realize it. But sometimes when we merge faith and belief and life, sometimes we, we draw lines, big lines. And, and it shouldn't be that way. And so that's why it's so important. The relationship is not severed because I can love you in spite of what you believe. And that leads to the next point is we must have uh, love or charity in all our beliefs. We must have love or charity in all our beliefs. In other words, truth is never an excuse for isolation, condemnation, or separation. This is a big issue in the church of Jesus Christ today as people get out there with, with, with uh, you know, signs and they're picketing and saying all kinds of things in the name of God, but there's no love behind that. There's always going to be truth, yes, but there's going to be grace. There should all, love and relationship is how we influence people. We don't influence people uh, without love or charity. And so the next group of people who ask this question ask it because, so the first group is saying because they're rule followers. The next group asks the question about, you know, can we, you know, drink, smoke, chew, run what girls would do. The people who ask that, again, rule followers. But the second group is, is, is this. They, they want to get as close to sinning as possible without actually sinning. <laughs> it's like the kid we've all seen. You know, you know the kid that we've all seen who you tell them, you know, don't touch this table, don't touch this table. And, and, and you explain that to them and they get right up next to the table like this. You know what I mean? And he's like, I told you not to touch the table. I'm not touching that table. Then you walk away, you come back and they're like this. You know? How many know that's not success? This is not success in Christian living. I'm not doing it, but I'm getting really close. That's not success, all right? That's not, uh, that's not what God wants for us. That isn't a response to the boundaries, the guardrails, the parameters he set forth, not as restrictions, but as protections. So here, write this point down. Point number one, life as a Christian is not about getting permission to do what I want, but rather living in submission to all God wants. Life as a Christian is not about getting permission to do what I want. It's about living in submission to all God wants. And, and it's just a, a little insertion here if you're a guest or you're, I like to say, a pre-believer. I think you're here because you're seeking, you're looking, you would like to have more, you'd like to know more, you'd like to see if it's real, if it works, etc. And I get it. I get it. A lot of us were there. But my biggest point in preaching this message isn't that you would actually change your behavior. That might be a shock to some people, but my biggest desire is for you today that maybe someday, maybe today, you'd meet Jesus. And that would in turn change you. All right? And your life. And it bring the change that you're really looking for. He actually knows your deepest need more than you do. He actually knows because he made you. He's, he created you. He, he knew you in your mother's womb. And he knit you together in your inmost being. He did all that a long time ago. And so he's trying to connect with you. And he'll do it by whatever means necessary. But if you're a Christian, it's not about, back to the point I was just making, it's not about, okay, now I have the heaven package um, now I got that all kind of secure and, and worked out, etc. But while I'm here on earth, can I still do this? And can I still do that? And how can I do that without actually crossing that line? And how can I do this without actually getting in trouble? And so we miss it. We miss the big point. How can I, can you just, can you make this okay? Can you make this right? Uh, and, and, we, and we don't realize it's not, again, about permission, but submission. It's about whatever you tell me to do, uh, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you tell me to stop doing, I'll do that. That's really what it's about. And whatever you tell me to, to submit and yield to, I want to submit and yield to that. Because when it comes to questionable activities, you have to ask these three key questions. And these are like filters for the questionable activities that we're talking about today, but we could also talk about many others as well, like smoking, drinking, and movies. Here's, here's the three questions. Number one, what does the Bible say about the subject? What does the Bible say about this subject, okay? I don't know if that's in your worship guide, but if it's not, these are the filters for all these questions. What does the Bible say about this particular subject? In other words, if you're here and you have problems with the Bible, and, and some people do, and I respect that, and I'm going, I'm, going ahead and, I'm going to go ahead and give you permission to have a problem with some of the things that you see in the Bible, because whatever you're told, whatever you observe, whatever somebody else, something you read one time, it didn't, there was some discrepancy, you thought there was a discrepancy or something like that. My goal, again, is not to get you to believe the Bible. My goal is to get you to fall in love with the author, because if you fall in love with the author, you're going to see that a lot of things that, that he says make sense, and they work, and they work. 
that his word is true. But this is my belief, however, because of the relationship that I have with the author, that where the Bible has clearly spoken, God has clearly spoken. So wherever scripture is clear, it's God speaking. God is talking. And if you don't believe that, again, that's okay, but ask yourself this question. Have you ever seen, I was just at a baseball game the other night, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, um, Derek Jeter. Now, he's, 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 he's going out, he's, uh, uh, today is his last game. And, um, and I was just thinking about, you know, he's a pretty reputable guy. Uh, whether you're a Yankee fan or not, uh, you know, that's not where I'm going today, so don't throw rocks at me. Um, but he's got, people have a lot of respect for that guy. There's very few athletes in the world today, very few politicians, very few uh, you movie stars, whatever. You, how many times have you seen them get in front of a camera, have to get on a microphone, and basically explain to the world all the big mistakes they have made, you know, and how their life is basically blown up. In all those instances that you can recollect or you can think about, in, in any one of those, it, I, can be, I, can, I can promise you, it wasn't because they were following what the Bible said. In uh, almost every one. In fact, if they were, they probably wouldn't be there in the first place. So whether you believe the Bible is true or not, it works, is my point. And if you'll just take a certain amount of time, you pick a subject, you take marriage, and you just apply one principle that the Bible says about marriage, love your wife like Christ loved the church, let me tell you something, that's going to have a major impact on your spouse. If you, is anybody out there listening to what I'm saying? I'm just saying, the point is, the Bible works. It works in many ways. Here's another thing, another filter that we're going to look, a little lens we're going to look through to answer these questions, is what do godlier, wiser people than me think about this subject? In other words, if Scripture isn't crystal clear, the Bible instructs us to seek counsel, to seek counsel. Even in my life today, at, you know, a, a nice ripe old age of 31, I still, I'm working through the line problem in counsel, uh, but I, I still seek counsel on major decisions in my life, particularly financial decisions. Um, not because I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but the, there's a principle in just submitting to wise counsel. So sometimes if it's a major purchase or something like that, or some kind of thing that, you know, some initiative or something like that, an investment not too long ago, I was seeking counsel with multiple people on an investment that my wife and I were getting ready to make. And, um, but I still have the freedom to choose a different path, but I want to feel the weight of somebody else's words, and I want to uh, gain and leverage the access to somebody else's perspective and experience that may be beyond mine. Does that make sense? So it's good to seek counsel. And God used and has used these people to save me from many stupid and unwise decisions that have saved me big time. And many times I have not, and I think you could say the same thing, where you've made, for example, I made a poor business decision in this church years ago uh, with regards to uh, a website that I purchased. And I remember being at a... a um, a conference and seeing this particular company in this booth and I just started engaging and I didn't know what I was doing. And I basically got us into a contract with a website company and they were terrible, terrible. One of the worst business decisions I've ever made. We had one of the worst websites, not anymore, praise the Lord, but we had one of the worst websites on the planet. <laughs> the, the end result was I learned that you can build a church, a successful church in New England without a website because we basically didn't have one. <laughs> But I can remember calling my friend and telling him about and complaining to him about the situation. He's one of my counsel, one of my closest friends and, and mentors, Pastor Randy Bazet. And he said, D, you should have called me. I could have told you all about them. And I'm thinking, Ugh, you know, I should have had a V8. I was so <laughs> upset. You know, but some people say things like, uh, yeah, you know, I didn't go to them because I knew what they were going to say. How many of you ever said something like that or thought something like that? A lot more hands should have gone up. But anyway, whatever the case is, when that is either thought or spoken, it's telegraphing the condition of your heart and the fact that you didn't want to, you didn't want to do what you knew you should do. And, and, and so it was a submission issue, not so much a permission issue, wasn't it? And I've met godly wise people, you know, who have helped me many times. Now, sometimes I go to godly wise people, and the conf there's a conflict sometimes. They're saying one thing, and another person's saying another thing. So that leads to the final filter, number three. We really could add another one, but today I'm not going to do it. Uh, the third filter is, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? I heard a man say it this way. Another way to say it is like this. You might want to write this down. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? 
And we're using that in relationship to the questions that have been asked today. But they can, this principle can be used on so many different levels. Now, there was a book in Ephesians 5. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And, of course, you know, uh, many of you know, he planted churches. And then he would go away, but then he would write letters back to them, giving them instruction to equip them and help them. And he writes this uh, particular letter. But in chapter 5, this is what he says, verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but what? But wise. Everybody say wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, the world right now is crazy nuts, as I like to say. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, what is the Lord's will? It's to be careful, to live wise lives. That's the Lord's will, is to be careful and to be wise. So here's the second point, number two. The point number two is this. Submission leads us not to ask what can I do, but what is the wise thing to do? Submission leads us not to ask, what can I do, but what is the wise thing to do? So now we're going to use these three filters to answer these three questions that you asked for, okay? So question number one, what about smoking? Everybody say smoking. smoking. <laughs> now, I want to qualify this so in case any attitude comes through. I hate smoke. Okay, I don't hate smokers, I just hate smoke. I hate, I hate the smell of it, I hate to get around it, I just need to be honest about that. I remember the days when restaurants allowed, you know, a smoking section and a non-smoking section. Can everybody remember that? Yeah, that didn't work, right? That's like having a non-peeing section in the pool and a peeing section. Okay? Can we just be honest about that? That doesn't work. Give me a break. I told you there was going to be some attitude coming out, right? So, Pastor, what are you saying, you know? Are you, are you inferring that people who smoke are going to hell? No, they just smell like they've been there, okay? All right, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to get off this bandwagon. All right, let's get into what the Bible says. <clears throat> there is not a, this, here's the three filters. There is not a verse in the Bible about that. So to those who say things like this, this is what people have said about smoking. Some people have strong opinions about this, especially Christians. They say, well, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't destroy the temple uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. They're referring to a scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, which primarily is related to the subject of sex, not necessarily smoking, but I'll give you that. So if you're going to use that text that we shouldn't destroy the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to use that to say, put down the cigarettes, then I'm going to say, sir or ma'am, maybe you should put down the Twinkies. Because we're talking, you're saying, well, that's not a temple issue. Really? I think it is. I think it's a major temple issue. It's, it, well, that's, it's different. I don't think so at all. I think we have to be fair across the board when we're talking about this subject. Because what, you know what happens? You may want to write this down too. Many Christians spend too much time policing other people's sin instead of dealing with their own. That's what's happening a lot of times. There's a lot of policing going on. You know, it's crazy. So, so that's, that's kind of an opener about cigarettes. Then some people say, what about weed? What about weed? You know? Well, you can't do it. Why not? It's illegal, sort of. But anyway, just I'm not going to go there, okay? Um, it's just funny when people go to that next level. But um, Now, the next question for filtering this is, what do godly, wise people say about it? What do godly, wise people say about it? Now, I met people who are godly, who are on both sides of the argument about this particular subject. I met many godly people who love Jesus who smoke. Really? Yes. I know some people that love Jesus who smoke cigarettes, who smoke cigars. You're saying, really? Yeah, I, it's absolutely the case. You know it too. If you're thinking they don't, you're crazy. Uh, so that kind of leads to this, this next question. I'll move quickly. What is the wise thing to do? I really think this is where it comes down to ultimately. Is it wise to smoke a pack a day or two packs a day? No, it's not wise to do that. It's certainly not wise financially because you're going to spend two to $3,000 a year that could be used on a lot of other things more, fruit, more frugally or more fruitfully. It's not wise spiritually because many people run to cigarettes to be their strong tower, and the Bible encourages us to go to God as our strong tower. Can I have an amen out there? And as a result, we sometimes learn, sometimes we learn to depend on something other than God, and God wants us to depend on Him. Uh, I don't think it's good relationally, so we need to be honest about that because some people don't want to come around you because you smoke cigarettes and they don't want to be affected by it or smell like it. Now, some people are discreet, and I think that's great. Thank you. Thank you. People appreciate that. 
you know, and sometimes people don't want the second hand and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, I think it's just not healthy for you. And so it's more, it's more, it's just unwise for you. So let me just back up and just say, you can, you can smoke a cigarette once in a while, perhaps. I think you can get addicted to it, so you got to be careful. Uh, um, I'm going to be honest with you, because I don't want to be one of those one of those Christians, I'm not even going to say pastor, but just Christians who pretends to be one thing someplace while they're on vacation and another thing in, when they're in public. I actually smoked a cigar for the first time just recently on a fishing trip. Now, you may not like this next point, but I liked it. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. Um, so what are you saying? Are you going to smoke cigars all the time? You know, I might, no, I probably won't. I'll probably smoke just once in a while. With a few boys, you know, maybe on a river fishing or something like that, or on vacation or something like that. And if, but there's nothing in Scripture that says it's a sin. There's, the issue is, is not about, and I, what I think sometimes people f- struggle with is either, either it's wrong, and then they do it, or secrecy, and they do it. But I think it's discretion. I think it's, I may have the freedom to do so, but I have to be careful where and how I do it, though I'm free to do it. And I'll apply this even to the drinking subject in a little while, but, but it's, it, is it a sin to do it? No. Uh, is it healthy for me to do it all the time? Is it wise for me to do it all the time? Is it maybe uh, prudent? No, it's probably not. Because everything we do affects everyone we know at some level, at some way. Next question, number two. It's quiet in here. Some people just got rocked because their pastor smoked a cigar, but that's okay. (laughs) Whatever. Question number two, what about R-rated movies, okay? Um, This is, now, R-rated movies, I just say R-rated movies. It's really, R-rated movies on up. We could say PG-13 on up, so let's just, all right, so when I say that, we're talking about movies. This is an area that I kind of stumbled in greatly. I must confess, I love movies. Um, I've had to repent many times for watching compromising television or movies or videos in the past. In fact, at times I believe I've been, this is a line that God was giving me in prayer recently, but I've been systematically desensitized by, to the voice of God by the visuals of man. Uh, and I'll explain as I go further, but been, there's been these short seasons in my life where, uh, especially being raised in the church most of my life, where just all movies were bad. TV as a whole was bad. There, there was a guy just in services recently who just thinks the television is an abomination. I respect that, but I don't see it that way. But I do think there's some abominable stuff that comes out of it, you know, through it to us. And we have to be careful about that. So sometimes we hold really strong opinions about things, and we just call it all wrong, it's all bad, and then sometimes we kind of just open, it's just open season, anything goes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I think we've all vacillated at different times, maybe, maybe, to different extremes. Many swing too far, though most of the time in the church, believers, Christians, they swing way over from kind of open game, way over here to legalism. Legalism. Write this down if you're interested. Legalism is when we put up fences to protect our, our, ourselves from falling prey to sin. Legalism is when we put up fences, or you could say walls, to protect ourselves from falling prey to sin. Now, there's no problem putting up fences for yourself, but when we impose those fences on other people, Romans 14 talks about this, that's legalism. So if it's sin to you, then you shouldn't do it. But don't, it may not be sin to somebody else to smoke a cigarette or smoke a cigar once in a while. <laughs> oh, this is tough. This is tough sometimes. Okay. I should, so, so by the way, I didn't inhale the cigar. No, just, <laughs> I just had to get that in there. <clears throat> um, but, but people that impose their beliefs on other people, this is what they're saying. They're saying that I'm going to judge you based on my righteousness. And, and the reason we must be careful not to judge people on our righteousness is that's the same, that's the same thing that the people d- who killed Jesus did. They were on Team Pharisee. Does anybody remember that team? All right. In other words, and that's what happens is people get in this camp and they get going down this path and they're just like, anybody who watches an R-rated movie, you know, they're the, they're on, they're the engineer on the Hell Express. I mean, they're bad people. Some people think that. 
They get crazy about it. And that's sometimes, in different times of my life, in certain areas, that's how I felt about things like this. And if you were around in the early years of this church, there, there were really strict and religious and legalistic standards in the church. I, I, recent years, now I don't know how long ago it came out, some of you guys remember this, but one of the things that really changed my, challenged my paradigm to really look at what I believe and how I would teach it was when the movie The Passion of Christ came out. Does anybody remember that movie? Does anybody remember what it was rated? It was rated R. So when that happened, as Christians, we had a choice. Am I going to be a hypocrite and say this is wrong, but then go ahead and go see it because it's about, you know, it's about Jesus? Or I'm going to come out of that, and this is what some people did, and just say all R-rated movies with Jesus in it are good. You know, and I, come on. People actually say that stuff. I want, you got to be kidding me on that. You know, so what is... <laughs> What does Scripture say? It doesn't speak about it at all. Some, some might say, well, in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 101, it says, I will let no vile thing come through my eye gate. All right. I think that's, that's definitely talking about imagery that could be negative. And if that's your position, though, that, okay, so now we're not going to watch any movies, then I'm going to say, then you need to throw your television away. You need to throw your, 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 your phone away. You can't, you can't look at billboards on the street. You can't look at magazines going through. You, you just need to pluck your eyes out and be led by the Spirit the rest of your life. Okay. So, you understand? Scripture's silent on this. So, after the passion of Christ, you know, came, I felt a certain release, but a, but a check also, uh, a kind of a healthy balance to, to watch certain R-rated movies without, without condemnation. I remember going out and watching the movie Gladiator. How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're willing, would you raise your hand and say if you watch Gladiator? Some of you have no problem saying that in the, this audience. So, you know, that movie moved me. My name is Neilius Marcus Maximus. Commanders of the armies of the north. <laughs> Husband to a murdered wife, father to a murdered daughter, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the life to come. And I was like, kick his butt! I mean, I like got off the jaw. Oh, I was fired up. You know what I mean? Braveheart. Anybody see Braveheart? You know what I mean? Put on a kilt, paint your face blue, yell, fire up! You know what I mean? On a wild horse. I mean, I was like, there's it's something redemptive about that. Or The Last Samurai, you know, that final charge. I, I, I felt like a better man. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of being serious. You know, it, it made me think about things like leadership and passion for life and standing on your convictions. And you, you might be thinking, come on, Pastor, seriously? No, I'm being serious. There are certain things about those kind of movies that can be redemptive. And I, I thought these movies stirred my heart. And I figured out after talking to other people, Question number two, what do other godly people say? Well, some were divided on this. Honestly, I've seen a shift, and sometimes the shift, it's got all kinds of mixture in it, so that kind of gets confusing, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But the next question, though, that helped me with this is what is the wise thing to do when it comes to these things? And so here's a question you can think about. Here's what helped me the most. When I'm leaving the movie theater, when I'm, when I'm shutting off, you know, the Netflix, when I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm, you know, powering down on demand with my family, here's the question I ask myself. What does that movie make me think about? What does that movie make me think about? Here's the, here's the thought here. I don't know if this is in your notes, but what you think about continually, you will do eventually. What you think about continually, you will do eventually. Movies that degrade and devalue people, especially women, I don't see or watch those. I don't care what the rating is. Just to be clear, movies with strong sex scenes in them, I don't go or watch them. Movies with innuendo and even suggestive material, I avoid. Ephesians 5 says, let there not be even a hint. I like to say that my translation, the Derek Fry translation, is a smidge. My grandmother used to use a smidge of this and a smidge of that. She had no directions for anything she cooked. It was just a smidge and a smidge and a smidge. Just a little bit, just a little bit. So the Bible says not there will be a hint of sexual immorality in you. So that smidge or something, we should avoid. We should back up from that. Listen, that might mean you shouldn't have watched the Titanic. That had the longest booby scene in history. It was like seven minutes long. I'm looking at the, I can remember watching them. I go, hello. And I just kind of looked down. I'm like, you know, honey, you just let me know when I can come back. And I took a nap. <laughs> Jack, I'll never let you go. You're dead. Anyway. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. So Paul wrote another letter to the church. He said this in Philippians 4.8. You know, he says, think about these things, things that are admirable, praiseworthy, excellent, you know, of good report, 
Those are the kind of things that we should be thinking about. Philippians 4, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ. That's a submission issue, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, not a permission issue. Does everybody tracking with me? So when it comes to a movie, I'm not asking what does the scripture say or just what godly people say. I'm asking what's the wise thing for me to do? Where will this thing take my mind? Because what I, what I think about continually, I will do eventually. It takes my mind to unhealthy places, then the answer is going to be no. I'm not going to watch that. Does that help anybody out there? All right, now let's talk about alcohol because that's what everybody's waiting for. Uh, the juice. Get to the juicy stuff, okay? Um, and let me say this. Your view on alcohol will probably be affected by your religious upbringing or even your heritage, so one has an extreme restrictive, one has an open, you know, we do this at breakfast, okay? So getting that par parallel there? Okay, so in, in the church, um, you could be, depending on your denomination, like Catholics and Episcopals, for example, they drink in church. When I was a teenager, I wanted to go to that church just for that. Jo I'm joining, I'm joining, okay? Uh, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, you know what I mean? And then some... Somebody goes there, and then they tell you you can't, you know, you can't participate in communion. So it's like, it's funny. You don't even realize. Well, it's like you can drink, but then you can't take communion, so you're out of here. All right, Presbyterians and Methodists don't have a problem with drinking. Uh, Baptists, they, they got a problem with drinking, okay? They don't like it. In fact, I have a friend who told me one time the only difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian is a Baptist won't wave at you in the liquor store. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's funny. <laughs> anyway, it's funny now, but it's, it is a tense subject because feelings and emotions run really, really deep on this, and that's why I'm lacing this with a lot of humor because there, people have strong convictions about this. They, I'm not going to move on this. The issue at the root, again, is submission, not permission. And so some of us, no matter what I hear today, I'm not planning on submitting anything. And maybe you need to. When it comes to movies, are you willing to... Are you willing to say, what does this make me think about? And if it makes me think about something bad then, and unhealthy, then I'm not going to do it. Are you, are you really willing to make the change in that area? Some of you aren't. Some of you aren't willing to do that. You know? When it, when it, when it, when it comes to this subject of drinking, this is a, this is a tough one for people. So let's, let's go to the filters again on this, okay? What does the Bible say about this subject? Now, is there a clear line in the sand? Many told me there was when I was growing up. They told me just drinking is a sin. I heard that a lot. And the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say you can't drink. It says you can't get drunk. Okay, so let's be clear. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not, what? Drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So if you, if you get drunk, you're going to be filled with spirits. That's why they say wine and spirits. Did you ever think about that? It's an open door. Drinking is an open door for spiritual bondage. I'm going to talk about that tonight for those of you who like going deeper and getting into kind of the more type of stuff. I'm going to talk about open doors, how we open ourselves up to the attack from the enemy. So, but I want you to listen to this all the way through because it says, it, you know, it's a sin to get drunk, not it's a sin to drink. And, and for years, you know, well-intentioned people told me something other than that. But when it talks about wine, for example, some people said like, you know, Pastor, when it's talking about wine in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes you know, um, that's not the same wine we have today. And I want to be like, come on. No, you, in, in just biblical times, the wine was different. Really? Really? You're going to use that argument again? Have you read the story of Noah? Okay, this, is, this, is, this isn't one of the stories that maybe you heard on the flannel graph board downstairs in kids' church. Okay, you know, here's, here's Noah. He, you know... He's talking to God, okay, and then here's the animals, here's the alligator, here's the hippopotamus, here's the birds, okay, here's a vineyard, here's a drinking session, here's naked Noah in a tent. That may not have been the one you heard on the flannel board, but Genesis 7 and 6, 7, and 8 are talking about all the stuff you heard, but in Genesis 9... A guy that we celebrate as a hero got hammered. <laughs> and that was the same kind of alcohol that you and I are drinking today. Is anybody tracking me out there? All right. So most people skip over that, the vineyard, the booze, and the naked Noah. But it's in there, Genesis 9, 21. So look, we got to go further with this. I'm going to make contrasting points. What about Jesus' first miracle? Hmm. He turned water into wine. John chapter 2, verse 10 says, Everyone brings out choice 
the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, Jesus, have saved the best till now. So, yeah, but he made it, but you can't drink it, bro. Really? He made it, but you can't drink it. I've had people tell me that that wasn't the same wine that we're drinking today. Come on. Seriously? Really? Um, I've even had people tell me, well, the Greek word for that is, and I want to be like, you don't even know anybody who's Greek. (laughs) That is not what it is saying. So here's what this passage says in John 2. This is basically the, the, Jesus made the wine, and then the people said, basically, they're like, hey, man, most people serve the good stuff at the beginning, you know, of the party, and then the bad stuff at the end, but the translation is, when everyone... You know, once everybody's totally hammered, then we bring out the mad dog. Some of you guys will know what I'm talking about (laughs) out there, what that is. All right? But you didn't do that. You brought out the great stuff. Okay? So, this, in other words, this translation, John 10 is saying, this stuff is legit. So the argument that it's different kind of alcohol, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, Old Testament, no. Somebody got hammered in the Old Testament, New Testament, no. Jesus brought out the real stuff, not the mad dog. It's legit, okay? So it's real alcohol. Is everybody, that's the Bible, okay? That's what the Bible says. Then Paul says this. He goes on, he says, don't be addicted or given too much wine. He didn't say, again, don't drink it. He said, don't drink too much, 1 Timothy 3.8, Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Now, so then it, it kind of keep going. What, 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 what do godly wise people say? Bottom line is there, there are a lot of people who love Jesus who are, again, on both sides of the argument of this. I have close friends who are on both sides of the argument of this. I am okay with that. I'm okay with that. Some think it's a sin, and others think it, it isn't. Some people don't think it's a sin. They're just not going to do it at all, at all, period, end of story. And I have friends that think it's wrong to drink, and I have friends that think it's okay. But early in the relationship, in this particular subject, all, it almost always comes up, when you have relationships with people, especially believers, this subject almost always comes up. That's why I think this is so relative and everybody asked for it. They all want to know, well, what about this? And how do we handle this? And, and, and the thing is, alcohol does a, damage a lot of people's lives. And let me just say that I agree with you. I've seen it a lot. It breaks my heart, okay? The studies reveal, just, I just looked this up last night, um, 88,000 alcoholic-related deaths each year in the U.S. 88,000 is too many. All right? But a point of contrast, not to minimize that first point, but there are approximately 300,000 deaths in the U.S. related to obesity, which is one in three people now are, actually, one in three people are now cited as obese. And by the year 2020... It's, it's, the statistics are saying that 75% of the people in America will be obese, and 300,000 deaths were because of obesity, because of the spoon and the fork, not because of the bottle. And so we, we sometimes celebrate one of my heroes in life, mentors, Christian mentors. We celebrate and, and honored him, but he was obese, and he died because of that. And yet people sometimes who are addicted to the bottle, you know, they're villains, Interesting thought. And I'm saying it's a hypocritical problem because we need to look at the plank in our own eye before we can take the speck out of our brothers or our sisters. And I know people have abused it. I've seen what it causes. It can destroy lives. And I know sometimes what you're thinking. But sometimes when we make a mandatory restriction that God didn't make, man did it, we didn't make it, it can or tends to push us away from God and toward it. And again, there's still rules, you know, laws that we have to obey of man, but seeing his protection, it, sometimes, sometimes we see it as restriction. And personally, I've never had a problem with this era. I've been around it my whole life, but I've never been immersed or swallowed up by it. So I may not have full identification with you, but I certainly have been up close and personal with people who struggle with this. And so in my case, I make sure that... Um, Though I'm free to do it, I'm discreet about how I do it or where I do it. So, pastor, do you drink? If people ask me this, I tell them this in one-on-one, and I decided I just tell the whole church around everybody, yes, I do drink a glass of wine once in a while. Uh, most of the time, just believe it or not, you don't have to believe this, it's okay, but, you know, for medicinal reasons. Prior to 2013, I might have had a, two glasses of wine a year. Uh, but then when I had the little physical bout, it's little red wine is good for the stomach. Ironically, the Bible says that, believe it or not, and my doctor told me to do it, so I do that once in a while. I had a glass of red wine yesterday, but it's not very often. I'm discreet about it, but I'm not secretive about it, and so I just thought it's important for you to know that as your pastor, but just because something 
is abused does not mean we shouldn't or couldn't do it. And, and, and for example, do people abuse sex? Yes, they do. Should we stop doing it and get rid of it? No! <laughs> I have a strong passion about that, okay? Do people abuse food? Yes, they do. But should we stop doing that? So the question then ultimately comes down to what is the wise thing to do as I start to wrap this up? Listen to me on this thing. There are, there are people, I want to make the other side of this. There are people who are listening via video, listening online, and who are here in this room right now that should never, ever pick up a glass of wine or beer or anything. Uh, my father-in-law will never pick it up again. He was an alcoholic. My sister-in-law knows her extremes, and just in knowing her extreme personality, she's, she's decided, not because she thinks it's sin, but just because she knows a weakness or a tendency she has, she's decided not to drink. I think that's wisdom. Some people don't drink because they were a drinker and it almost cost them everything. Some people decide not to drink because they know a propensity that they have and a weakness they have in other areas and they don't want to introduce something else that would be a problem. I think that's, I think that's wisdom. But you might be here and you have this proclivity towards alcoholism and you got to be honest with yourself. And most people are not. You can't overcome an enemy that you won't admit is there. But every time you have a drink, you wind up with a lampshade over your head at some point. And, and, and you do something really stupid, and you can't enjoy a drink in, in, in a social setting, or you think you can, but ultimately it leads to problems because it's just an eventuality. So you know there are people, you may not realize this, but there are people in this room that are addicted to alcohol, and you don't even know it. How do I know? Because you may have disqualified yourself already, but you can't go, you can't go 30 days without it. So yes, I can. Well, then, then do it. Then do it. And when I say stuff like that, and I've said stuff like that to, in private chambers to people in a counseling situation, they get angry. They get angry. You know what that anger is revealing? I'm just going to be really straight with you. It's revealing an idolatry. Because if you can give it up, you'd be willing to give it up. But if you're not willing to lay it down, it's an idol. It's something you've exalted above the knowledge of God, and you've held that above him. And the Bible says, and God said, I will have no other gods before me. He wants to be first in our life. And so sometimes we have to tear down idols to tell him he is our only one true God. And I hear people say things like, well, I have to have a glass of wine every night in order to relax or in order to go to sleep. Listen, and we're going to talk about this tonight too. That's not a weakness. That's a bondage. We call it weaknesses. We minimize sin. We minimize it. So that's a weakness. And so we're headed towards some big holidays coming up, you know, with Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we're going to be around a lot of family, a lot of people who are, you know, uh, you know, crazy nuts or whatever. That that cause anybody to want to start drinking sometimes. Uh, just that alone. <laughs> But, but while you're with them, I'm, while I'm saying these strong things, I'm not saying judge people. Police yourself. Don't police anybody else. Just police yourself and yelling at them and screaming at them, telling them how wrong it is. Don't make points with people. Make differences with people, okay? And let me say something to the singles and the young people who are here because some people are going to take this wrong. I'm going to hear about it. I'm going to get emails, and I don't want to get any emails. So, uh, but sometimes singles and young people hear this, and they say, oh, PD said we can drink. You know, or they'll throw it in their parents' face or something like that. This is awesome. And um, let, me, let me just clear the air here, okay? There are a lot of you maybe out there who like to hit the clubs. And this is, what, this is what people say. I used to say this when I was a young person. You know, hey, Jesus hung out with sinners, and he'd probably be at the clubs and the bars. And you're probably right. You're probably right. But hold up on the twisted sister thinking here for a second, okay? If you're going to use that argument as an excuse to drink, then you better incorporate the whole package. Because when Jesus was out there, it, maybe if it was today, maybe it would be a bar, maybe it would be, you know, a, a, a club or something. Maybe, maybe, okay? But if it was, when he was there, he wasn't, you know, bumping and grinding and twerking. And drinking all night long, okay? And if you don't know what twerking is, Google, no, don't Google it. Never mind. <laughs> never mind. Never mind that. Ask your middle schooler. While you're teaching them about the birds and the bees, let them tell you what that's all about because they're getting an education simultaneously to what you're get, giving them. All right, but Jesus was out there, and he, while he was in those environments, people were getting healed, people were getting saved, the devil was getting cast out of them. He was influencing the environment, and the environment wasn't influencing them. So don't use this as an argument to say why it's okay because Jesus did it, because Jesus was doing a lot of different things than you were doing. 
Can I have an amen out there? All right, so don't say we're being like Jesus. Come on, somebody. So what about underage drinking? What are your thoughts about that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think that if you're under the age of 21, you shouldn't do it, period, end of story. It's a sin. If you're a parent who buys alcohol for children under the age, then I think that's even worse. You need to be a parent and not a friend to people, okay? Can I move on? If, in other words, if my girl, g- girls go out there, I have two in high school right now, and they go out there, God forbid they ever got drunk or they were drinking or something like that, that would be, that would be sad enough as it is, okay? But if I found out that a parent supplied the alcohol, let me just tell you something. I'm going to start a prison ministry because <laughs> I'm going to be in it, okay, because it's wrong. Are you feeling me on that? Okay, so it's bad, all right? So at the end of the road on this subject, as I wrap it up, alcohol isn't the problem uh, for the addict or for the alcoholic because if you take away that particular abuse, that particular addiction or whatever, um, they're just going to find something or someone else to be addicted to or an addiction or an abuse of something else. And so the problem for years has been that we're treating symptoms and we're not actually treating the root problem. The root problem is the heart and the mind. We have to have a heart change that's willing to submit to God. The Bible says, James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then we have to see God renew our minds so that we see sometimes we're buying a lot. Oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. You know, we got Justin Bieber playing in our brain. I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle this sin. I can just dabble with sin. That's like having a glass of water with a drop of poison and saying, I'll drink it. You can't handle sin. Sin, you need to run and flee and get away from it. And if it's leading to unhealthy places, you shouldn't do it. That's the wise thing for you to do. And you need to have your mind renewed, and some, sometimes our minds renewed, by one idea that God can present to us, that everything I do affects everyone I know at some level. And when we see that, maybe our behavior will change. That is why David said this. Look in your notes. This is a submission prayer that we can say daily. It's personal. Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, God. Notice all the personal pronouns in this verse. Look at it with me, everybody. Search me, God, and know what? My heart. Test what? Me and know my anxious thoughts. So this is very personal. This is something you can do daily. This is submitted prayer. See if there be any offensive way in me. In other words, is there anything in me that is going against scripture? It's going against wise counsel. It's going against a wise choice. And then he goes on to say, and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, if I'm offline, then help me get on, get on track. Show me the way. Show me your will. Because we need to deal with this fundamentally, and David realized this, and that's why I think we should pray something like this every day, at a heart level. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Why don't you do this? Why don't you put your notes away? Um, You can stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. Do you guys get something out of this? I hope so. I'm sure I'm going to get some interesting commentary. I'm ready. I've been interceding all week. Just, just, um, Just close your eyes. I'm going to pray with you. You know, I thank God that everybody in here, like me, deep down, want to be the guy, the girl, the the boy, the girl, the sir, the ma'am, that can say, what you see is what you get. I'm congruent. I'm the same here as I am over there. But there are also some things in our life that need to get checked and need to get proved and pruned. What I've noticed, God, in my own life is that when I'm real, when I'm congruent, not fake or feigned, I can love Jesus more because there's nothing secret. And, Lord, I want us to be able to live lives that are like that. And I I just would like you to think, as you're out there listening, are you willing to submit to God today fully? Are you willing to fully submit your life to God today? Stop asking him for permission and start going to him in submission. What area? Maybe it's none of these three. Maybe you got it all in balance. You got it all worked out. But maybe there's something else the Holy Spirit's showing you. But some of you are struggling with these areas. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol. Maybe cigarettes or some other bad stuff. Some movies and pornography or things like that. These may not be essentials to your salvation, but they are important to your progress. 
with every head bowed, every eye closed, I feel very strongly that there are several people in this room today that need to stop drinking or they're going to lose it all. And you just kind of, you're playing with fire and you know who you are. This is cross-gender. It's, it's not just one side or the other. It's male and female. I just feel like the Holy Spirit's trying to put a finger on your chest in love and saying, will you submit that part of your life to me and get help? God is speaking to you. Do not, do not turn them down. Maybe you're here today and you realize there's been areas in your life where you've spent more time policing other people's behavior and not your own and, and God wants to speak to you about that. Where you examine yourself to see whether you're in faith. I pray in Jesus' name for every person that's in this room that they be people who look at their own heart and their own mind. They don't worry about what everybody else is doing, but they live a life that everybody else would want to emulate in honor of God not to please or prove something to man. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to God, so it's really hard to overcome in these areas. And that's the fact, sir or ma'am. You really can't get over these things until these struggles that you have in your life or see things right until you come to know Christ because he's the only one that can change you. And the change begins from the inside, not from the outside. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today and surrender your life to him today, I'm going to ask you to boldly raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I'm going to need to submit and surrender my life to Jesus, and I don't want to walk out of here until I've done that. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, that's me? Just look. I won't call you out. I'm not going to make you come down front. Just right where you are. If anybody here says, that's me, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over there. I, th I see that hand. God bless you. Is there anybody else that says that's me? Thank you, Jesus. Just say this. Those of you that raise your hand and those of you who are here, we just say, Jesus, come into my life again today. I surrender to you. I submit my life to you fully. I don't want to come to you for permission. I come to you in submission. I know that if I come to you in submission, that I can resist temptation. I can resist the enemy of my life. And I can overcome in this life. I thank you that you paid for my sin. And I don't have to pay for it myself. That when I confess it, you forgive. Time and time again. But I want to overcome sin. Not continually sin. And live a life that pleases you in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for every person here today that was within the sound of my voice that their heart be touched and their mind be changed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap for